I'm going to share a few thoughts this morning. A little bit unusual for me to share on a Friday, but this is not a this is an unusual Friday. This is not a normal Friday. This is the Friday that we refer to as Good Friday. And as we've grown up in our Christian churches referring to this as Good Friday. I'm going to share a few thoughts with you this morning and then I'll continue these thoughts on Sunday morning. You know, I hear uh, I hear a lot being said about Good Friday and Easter, and I hear our Jewish friends are celebrating Passover, and I hear all these thoughts. And it occurs to me from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, where he told them that uh, when Jesus came, he made provision for bringing together both Jews and Gentiles into one body, that is, into himself. And that he would bring them into himself and and in that way he would make them one new man. They would become one new man. It appears to me, even this morning as I think about uh, where we find ourselves, that the Jews are celebrating and remembering the Feast of Passover. And as Christians we're talking about Easter and I believe the Jews are lacking in their understanding of Passover, not realizing and understanding that the fulfillment of Passover has come and that Jesus has fulfilled nearly 2,000 years ago Passover. And so they don't understand and not recognizing the death of their Messiah or his resurrection or his ascension and are not looking forward to his second coming. As Christians, on the other hand, we are clearly understanding the importance of Christ's death his coming, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and we are looking forward to his second coming. But the Jews are referring to this period of time correctly as Passover. Well, we Christians are referring to it incorrectly as Easter. And so it just seems to me as if they have a hold of something true. We have a hold of a much greater truth if we could bring them together, be brought together in Christ Jesus Then we have a fulfillment of what Jesus made provision for, that out of the two, he would bring about one new kind of man. So a few thoughts with regard to what we are experiencing now in terms of COVID-19 pandemic that is sweeping the world. And we understand that uh, the more we understand of the virus, the more we see that a great many things are not going to be the same going forward as they have been. Perhaps a few weeks back we thought, well, we'll get over this, we'll get past this, and then we'll return to normal. We're not certain what that means and what normal looks like. One thing that I'm observing is that uh, we are moving through a kind of threshold and that this threshold applies to everything. It applies to natural circumstance. It applies to the way in which we greet our neighbors and friends and the whole idea of social interaction. We have moved through a kind of threshold and having moved through this, things will be very different going forward than they were in the past. It's unlikely that we're going to return to the past as it has been. But having said that, it's also clear to me that we have moved and are moving through a kind of threshold in spiritual, in spiritual things. This period of time is permitting us to see a great deal about ourselves. 
things about ourselves that we should see, that we should have seen before now. But we are given, we have been given an opportunity to see those things now. Some of those things are really good, and some of those things are not so good. There are things that we have an opportunity to see in terms of our reactions, the way in which we are reacting and thinking about the events that are transpiring around us. Some of us are not thinking correctly. Some of us are not acting correctly. And so that means that we're being being given an opportunity to correct those things because there's something within us that needs to be readjusted. This period of isolation, as we refer to it as social distancing and some kind of isolation in many respects. And personally, let me just offer a few thoughts of a personal nature on this. I have a sense in which um, maybe I was born for times like this. I don't find these periods of time to be difficult. I find them to be invigorating. I, I find that I'm spending time in some, some degree out of necessity, but I'm spending time a great deal of time, more in the way that I should have been spending time all along. And out of this for me personally is coming a deeper level of insight and, and understanding and study of the scriptures than I have ever experienced before. And as I continue to share based on what I'm seeing now, basically what I'm seeing now is different. In some respects, things are different from the way in which I have always seen them. So that comes as a little bit of a surprise to me in some, at some level. But also I understand uh, I must be very careful in how I communicate. Now, what does it mean to be careful? I don't have the privilege of holding back in my communication. But I offer my communication. I offer it as an offering to those who are inclined to listen and to hear. But I believe that this is a period of time that we have been given by the Lord in spite of all the circumstances on the physical or the natural realm. There's a great, great moving that is taking place within the spiritual realm. And we have an opportunity right now, we collectively, all of us, to become more acquainted with who we are in Christ Jesus. We have an opportunity to to see things within us that ought not to be the way they are and to repent of them and to change them and to walk away from certain things and walk towards other things. Having said that, we also have an opportunity to discover and to see more about who we really are and what we're called to do, what kind of giftings we have in Christ Jesus. This is a time that permits spiritual development and maturity. And I can sense that is happening. I know it's happening within myself. And I believe it's happening within the body of Christ worldwide. Let's take advantage of it. A lot of things are going to change as we move on from this threshold kind of experience. Let me say just a couple of things in preparation for the Lord's Day morning in a couple of days. I want, first of all, just to point out a few things with regards to the study of the scriptures and what I find helpful and useful and necessary. The first thing that I endeavor to do as I open the pages of God's 
written word is to, is to understand what is being said. What is being said? I know that these scriptures were not originally written in English. I know they were written in Greek, we believe, the New Testament written in Greek. Now, I'm going to refer to the New Testament uh, right now. What I do is I refer to various uh, books that permit me to have a deeper or better understanding of what the original Greek words actually mean. And so I'll list a, a couple of those, uh, a few of those resources that I use. And these are not, I'm not limited to these three that I'll mention, but I'd like to recommend them. Number one, as I, I refer to, not necessarily in order of importance, but the first one I'll mention is Vincent Word Studies. Excellent. Vincent Word Studies. Second one I'll mention is Robertson's Word Pictures. That's Robertson's Word Pictures. Then I really enjoy uh, Kenneth Woost's Word Studies. He was a professor of New Testament Greek at Moody Bible for, I believe, up until about 1962 when he passed away. Now, I really enjoy Kenneth Woost's presentations, his word studies. Also, Kenneth Woost has written a, an expanded translation of the New Testament. And you'll find those who are familiar with the Amplified Bible will have some kind of idea. But you'll find that as you, and I, and I do enjoy, appreciate the Amplified Bible and have for many years, but there's a lot of interpretation within the Amplified Bible. And what Kenneth Woost is endeavoring to do in his expanded translation is to uh, elucidate or to make clearer, provide a clearer understanding of what the original Greek words actually are conveying to us. And so he does that, of course, in his translation from Greek to, to English. As I proceed over the next few weeks, I will, from time to time, read directly from Kenneth Woost's expanded translation. So what these resources do is these resources assist us in understanding what is being said, the what is being said. And so they are resources to assist with the accuracy of textual understanding. What is the scripture actually saying? And so we haven't yet got to the place of interpretation precisely yet. We just want to know exactly what's being said. If we misunderstand what is being said, it's going to be nearly impossible for us to have a correct interpretation of what's being said. If you don't understand what's being said, how can you correctly interpret it or rightly divide it? Right? So the first thing is the what. Then we come, then we come to the really of supreme importance. And this is the conveyance, the interpretation or the exegesis of the scriptures, of the word, in terms of providing it as teaching, how to present it to the understanding so that the understanding is accurately informed from the word. This is rightly dividing, rightly dividing. Study, be eager to show yourselves approved unto God. And the, and the idea then is to rightly divide. And you become a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Right? So now to rightly divide, this is in the area of interpretation, teaching, leading to the area of doctrine. Uh, what is 
absolutely essential here at this very critical place is the revelation of the Holy Spirit because no one is equipped to properly divide the word without the revelation, the assistance, the illumination of the Spirit of Truth himself. The way this works is the Spirit of Truth himself communicates with our spirit. And he communicates with our spirit and in the revelation, in the communion of the meaning of the word to our spirit first. In that manner, our minds are informed properly. We understand intellectually what the uh, doctrine of the scripture really is, what the word is really saying to us. So I'll mention those things just as I begin to share a few thoughts this morning. Let me continue by just offering that this being Passover, in my, in, in my uh, usage of terms, I um, hear people use Easter all the time. I must be very honest with you. Easter has no positive meaning to me. I don't use the word Easter. I may use it if I'm talking to someone who wouldn't understand what I'm saying. But the correct term of this moment, this day, and this period of time right now that we are remembering is Passover. Let me just uh, offer the thought that without Passover, or apart from Passover, there could never have been a Pentecost. I'm going to be sharing on Pentecost over the next number of weeks. I don't know how many. But this subject of Pentecost is opening up to me just... I said to my wife, I can't think of anything else. I'm thinking about it in my sleep and I wake up in the middle of the night. I, I just am... I have been invited, this is my sense, as I've been invited to look again, to study again, to look at very carefully again the subject of Pentecost. And I believe that Pentecost relates entirely to the moment in which we find ourselves right now in 2020. So again, without Passover, there could never have been Pentecost because Passover was essential preparation for Pentecost. And Passover and the coming of the Messiah Jesus and his great atoning sacrifice, he made provision for our sins to be forgiven and for us to walk in newness of life. And this newness of life that we walk in is the definition of a new creation in Christ Jesus, a new man. And both Jews and Gentiles are drawn and called of the Holy Spirit into this experience and the relationship with Messiah But all this is made possible by Passover. Passover. Now Passover prepares us now. It prepares and equips us now for this period of preparation for Pentecost. And as Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, would follow the Feast of Unleavened Bread by 50 days, during that period of time, we have in the past uh, several weeks I've talked about the uh, under the theme of the world by wisdom knew not God and in those three podcasts I've mentioned a great deal about about Pentecost and I believe have offered some foundational some some foundational teaching or level of understanding with regards to Pentecost now a question that has been posed to me 
And by the way, I must mention that both uh, Passover, Passover has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And the purpose of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost also, has been fulfilled. Now, that doesn't mean that either of those two feasts cease to be. It means that we understand them very differently now from the way in which they were understood before they were fulfilled. And this is the great challenge that we face, is how do we understand Passover? We continue to remember Passover, and there's appropriate uh, celebration of Passover. But to approach Passover with our understanding opened is the opportunity that we have. The same applies to Pentecost. Now, the question that uh, often, that, that question that has been posed to me is, concerning Pentecost is, have we lost our way? Have we collectively, as a church global, worldwide, have we lost our way in terms of how we understand Pentecost? And I believe the answer to that is yes. Now, in a few days, in a few days from today, I will reach the number of threescore and 16 years, threescore and 16. And I can see very clearly, of course, that there's a part of us that ages, and that is the body. And then, of course, the real, the real us, we do not age. And so we continue, as long as we inhabit this body and live in this world, we continue to grow, we continue to be offered fresh insights. The greatest provision that has been made for the keenness of your mind as you grow older is fresh insights from God and his word. I find in my experience, as I have alluded to already, that these fresh insights continue and I will offer some of these as I proceed. Now, I, I understand that some of these insights may be different from the way in which you think about them. And I'm not imposing. I never have imposed. I will not start imposing anything now. It's very, very important that we approach the presentation of the scriptures, that we approach it with honesty and openness of heart, openness of mind, relying upon the Lord to give us insight or to be able to corroborate that which is presented. And so that's what we expect of one another, is that honesty and that determination to love the truth if it means that we change our thinking on some things, then so be it. If it means that the truth confirms what we already know to be true or believe to be true, then so be it. But fresh insight is being offered to us right now as we, have, as we are passing through this period of time. I want to return, just for a few moments, I want to return to what I had presented earlier and I I had spoken earlier in the podcast with regards to Pentecost and, and the book of Acts, chapter 2 to verse 41. I had gone that far. But there is, a, there is something, one thing I want to return to just briefly this morning and then I'll close this podcast. I want to return to Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And I, I need to reread because there's a part of this passage that I want to then read from Joel's prophecy. Now, I'll read, as I promised earlier, I'll read this from Woost's expanded translation. 
Acts 2, verse 14. But Peter, having having taken his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them in words which belong to dignified and elevated discourse, Men of the Jewish race and all those who are residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For as for you, these are not intoxicated as you suppose, for it is nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that. Now, I'm not, I have this emphasized and boldened and underlined. And Peter says, but this is that. Now, it's very important. This. He's speaking to the men assembled and gathered, being drawn by the sound. And he said, this, what you are seeing and hearing, this, right today, this is that. And so he's talking about the present moment and what they see and hear and referring back now to the prophecy of Joel. But remember, he's not going to quote all of the prophecy of Joel. But he's going to quote certain words from the prophecy of Joel. The prophecy of Joel in Joel chapter 2 is an all-encompassing prophecy and much of the prophecy perhaps has to do with the end of the age as well as the beginning of this, what I will refer to as this Pentecostal era. And so Peter again, but this is that which has been spoken through the intermediate agency of the prophet Joel and is on record. And it shall be in the last days, says God, that I will abundantly bestow my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons shall speak forth by divine inspiration, also your daughters. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream with dreams. Yes, and upon men and women who are the slaves of others and yet belong to me, in those days I will abundantly bestow my spirit, and they shall speak by divine inspiration. And I will bring forth miracles of a startling, amazing, amazement, awakening character in the heavens above, and miracles upon the earth whose purpose it is to attest the workings and words of God, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great conspicuous day. And it shall be that everyone, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Now, Peter Peter quotes a certain words, a certain portion of Joel's prophecy. And let me read this now directly from Joel's prophecy, the portion that Peter has, he has uh, quoted. And it shall be afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also I will pour out my spirit on the slaves and on the slave women in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of Jehovah. And it shall be, whoever shall call on the name of Jehovah shall be saved. It's very important that we understand that there was a beginning to the words of Joel that Peter started with. And then there was a conclusion. He just quoted certain words from Joel. Not all, but certain and he and he said that the portion that he would quote from Joel's prophecy this is what they had seen and heard this is what 
they had experienced and were experiencing. Now, now this is very important. Peter and the 120, the group of 120 in the upper room, they had just in the morning at 9 o'clock in the morning, they had, they had begun to experience the outpouring of the promise of the Father. And we remember how that the sound compared to a rushing mighty wind came and filled the place that they were sitting. I believe it's very clear that the sound was the sound of languages that filled the entire room and then began to be distributed to them individually and began to sit individually upon each one compared to the way in which a tongue of fire might do that. And then they began, began to speak that language which rested upon them and they were enabled by the Holy Spirit as he came in baptismal measure there they were enabled to speak that language or that dialect which they had not naturally learned, all these men being, and all these individuals being Galileans. So this is what Pentecost is. Pentecost is receiving out of heaven and being able to present, minister, deliver that which is received out of heaven. And that's what they had been doing. And all the people, again, assembled in Jerusalem and they had come, these men had come from all throughout that Roman Empire and they're Jews and they had come for Passover and had remained for Pentecost because they needed to be, they needed to come to Jerusalem for Passover and, Pente- and Pentecost. So it's really important for us to understand as I reference some of the, some of the miracles and some of the signs and wonders that I have referred to in previous podcasts very important for us to understand that these men had all witnessed these things and had been unable to understand the reason for them. They were miraculous. They were events that could not be naturally explained. Now, as Peter begins to preach to them or speak to them in the language, his own language, as Peter begins to speak to them, the uniqueness of Pentecost, the the gift of Pentecost continues to be manifested. And that means that as Peter is preaching or speaking to them in language that they understand and that Peter understands, that the miracle of Pentecost is, has not ended. The miracle of Pentecost continues. Peter is enabled to speak these words as the Holy Spirit gives him ability to speak these words. And in the selection of the words from Joel's prophecy, these words are selected by the Holy Spirit and not by Peter. It's not that Peter in his own mind alone decides that he will reference these words. But the Holy Spirit now, upon them in baptismal measure, is operating within Peter in the selection of Joel's prophecy in the same, in the same way, in the same manner, by the same principle that he had previously operated on Peter, permitting Peter to speak in a dialect or language which he had not naturally learned. See, there is a provision with Pentecost. And the idea again of Pentecost from the very beginning and continuing to, till today is that the believer is intended to receive out of heaven and then give forth that which he, she receives out of heaven. So having said that, I believe that's uh, of great assistance for us in arriving at um, where these words of Joel fulfilled on that day or are these to be fulfilled in some future day? And I want to say 
without commenting on what is manifested in the future, I want to say very clearly that all of the words of the prophecy that Peter quoted on that day were intended to be applied to that day and made sense to the hearer based on everything they had seen in the last two months. And then I come to a conclusion by reading the remaining few verses of Acts chapter 2. And they were continually steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of loaves and in prayers. And fear came on every soul. And many wonders and miracles took place through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all according as anyone had need. And continuing with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they shared food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, just a thought on verse 45. They sold their possessions and goods. Not unusual at all for a person who has properties or who has possessions or goods of some kind, according to their needs in the moment, to sell them. We refer to this as liquidating assets. Uh, We have the the liberty and the right to sell that which we own and possess and to use the proceeds of the sale to... And we can apply that according to our, our needs. We can direct that according to the needs of our, moment, of our present moment. And so the idea that they would sell possessions and goods in that moment is not unusual at all. But we think of that, it's not unusual if they applied that to themselves. But they didn't sell them just to apply to themselves. They sold them to apply as anyone had need. And that shows us this magnificent, this unusual, this tremendous level of oneness that existed among them, which is a consequence of Pentecost again. Fruit. We look for the fruit of Pentecost, the consequences of Pentecost, and there are many. And one is this marvelous unity that exists where individuals do not look at what they possess as being exclusively their own. Now, some think that uh, this is socialism, that this is some kind of political socialism, and it is not. It is not. The Bible does not teach that, and nor does this manifestation of Pentecost teach that. What it does teach us is that we are responsible for what we possess And we are responsible for the ways in which we uh, administer that which is is within our ability to administer. And so there were needs among the people after this protracted stay in Jerusalem. And especially those who would be visiting, some of them would not be uh, able or or did not come prepared to uh, provide for their needs for this extended period of time. The point is, that wherever there was a need, someone made provision for that need, just as if he would make provision or she would make provision for their own need. The need of a brother and sister was as important as the need that they had themselves. That's the idea. And is that not the fulfilling of the second great commandment, to love your neighbor as you love yourself? That's exactly what it is. And it is a natural consequence of the baptismal outpouring promise of the Father 
the fulfilling of the day of Pentecost, which is intended to continue on to the very end of the age without any question or doubt. Verse 47 says they were praising God and they were having favor with all the people. We listen or we read where it says, Behold how they love one another. This is uh, undoubtedly one of the reasons that they had favor with the people as the people saw these manifestations of Pentecost. Not just uh, miracles, which they did see. Not just signs and wonders, which they did see. But the love they had one for the other, which was unmistakable. And that led to a favor among the people. And so I'll continue my thoughts on the Lord's Day morning, which is coming up in a couple of days. I'll change my subject matter from what I had previously used, which was the world by wisdom knew not God. And I'm going to just talk about Pentecost. And this will be Pentecost in successive parts going forward. And so we'll see you again on Sunday morning.